the volume. Hey guys, it's the Sessions presented by FanDuel. It might be cold, but the sports calendar is heating up, baby, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and so, so easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers, boosts, and more. And when you win, you're going to get paid real fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like with the spread, money line, over, under, team totals, player props, and so much more. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And you can combine multiple bets from the same game in a same game parlay to try out the same game parlay plus. Get in on that. And... FanDuel is now live in Maryland, y'all. So use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on this show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. so excited to have you on. You know, you and I were talking um, while you were on your way to Nashville, going to see our girl, Casey Musgraves. Oh my Was gosh. it everything you wanted it to be? And I think that I was the only straight person in the crowd and I loved it. <laughs> yes, Queen! We got like an extra wristband or something. I was surrounded by like girls and gays and I was like, yeah, this is my scene. <laughs> my people! It was a lot of fun. She's so incredible. Here's my question, though. What did you wear? Did you put on like a fancy Casey Musgraves outfit? Because she really brings the fashion. And I feel like if you wanted to throw in a tassel, maybe a sequin, that would have been the the setting for it. I just wore jeans and a, a T-shirt, I think. Maria, she dressed up for sure. She wore like the Reba jacket with the tassels. And I had to take like seven boomerangs of her. How was it being like that was your guys first trip away in like eight years, you said? How was it? You know, she's gone to WrestleMania with me and she's, you know, done some of those things. But like, you know, at WrestleMania, you still have signings and, you know, matches and stuff like that. So we've been away before, but we've never had uh, time by herself. She, she is. I definitely would like Maria to come be a part of this because I want to know about the romance. 
we can talk about wrestling and blah, blah, blah. We'll get to some of that stuff. But like, I love the family stuff. I love knowing about like you as a human being. And I know family is obviously such an important thing to you. You are like that dude that I feel like the show ends and you are hightailing it out of there to get back home. Has it always been that way for you? Uh, yeah, uh, for, for WWE, for sure. Like, I always felt guilty at WWE because I was gone so much. So I would always find the earliest flights out. Whether I had sleep or not, I, wanted, I still do find the earliest flights out because I wanted to get home because, like, it's cool to be able to take care of them through my dream and, and make this money and stuff like that. But then we only know, or at least then she only knew that daddy wasn't home, you know? And I could tell her a million times well, I'm going to work. So, you know, you can stay here with mom or so we can have this house or whatever. I could tell her that a million times, but still all she knows is daddy's leaving again. But yeah, just Wednesday night, as soon as I was finished filming, I changed my flight to an 8 PM flight and flew home. I don't know. It's just, I know how lucky I am and how fortunate I am to have what I have in her. When we first met, um, I was in college, but I was paying for my own college. So I had like three jobs, two or three jobs at a time. And one job was opening up a vitamin store where I would go all day. And I'd leave that job and go to my next job, which was a DJ at nighttime. And like, she always was so supportive. She never complained, you know, 18 credit hours of school and three jobs and wrestling. My job until 3 a.m., I was surrounded by girls and she never, ever questioned me, never cared. You know what I mean? I could never bother her. She's been prepped for this life, but man, she's never once complained. How did you guys meet? What's the origin story? Who swooned who? Her best friend worked with me at the, the club downtown. She was the door girl. And um, one day Maria came in and that's how we met. Then me and my buddies went out a couple of, I don't know, weeks later. And uh, I saw her roommate at a bar and she was uh, inebriated. And it was only like 5 p.m. And I was like, hey, let's, I'll take you home. She lived with Maria. Maria was there. She had literally just broken up with her boyfriend. And I was like, hey, we're going to go out if you'd like to come with us. And she said, you know what? I'm going to come with you. And so she comes with us. And we go out downtown. We have fun. And uh, long story short, I courted her for like six months. And she said, no. I was figuring shit out. I said, okay, well, look, I love you so much that it's, this was like in December. I was like, it's either 0% or 100%. That was my exact words. And she said, okay, it's 0%. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> she moved back to Hendersonville, uh, where, which is kind of where we live now. And um, I was still in uh, Wilmington, where I was going to college or where I finished college. She called me one day and she was driving back and she said, I can't live without you. I love you so much. Driving four hours, five hours from, Hendersonville to Wilmington just to come and tell me she loved me. And she came in the door and we embraced. Yeah. And he said, all right, well, I've got to go back home. And so she left right after that. And but then I moved back. And then she moved back. Yeah. And we moved in with each other like. Almost immediately. And, yeah. Oh my God. How long ago was that? How long have you guys been together? 13 years. Oh my God. Very impressive. Maria, did you know what you were getting into? I mean, when this relationship started, I mean, you know, he talks about your patience and your trust in him and now this journey that you guys have been on and like through thick and thin. I mean, as we sign up for when we say those vows. Initially, when he told me that he wrestled, I was like, good. Well, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> we'll see. And, you know, and then I went to one of his first shows. It was at like an armory. Oh, or my gosh. First show went to. And I was like, holy shit, like this is real deal. Like he's serious and he's really talented. 
And so then, you know, and he always talked about wanting to get signed somewhere and that kind of thing. We got engaged at the end of 2010 and we scheduled our, our uh, wedding date as uh, September the 16th, 2012. We, were, we scheduled to, to get married and like Kenny and Seaman, he called and he was like, okay, we're going to offer this contract. <laughs> this is the start date. I was like, oh man, that's the day after my wedding. We have a honeymoon scheduled. Can I please have you know some time off? Oh yeah, that's not a problem. We'll, we'll make sure to get it to you. So he calls me a week before my wedding. He says, I just want to make sure everything's in place. You're good to go. Yes, sir. I can't wait. Good to go. I said, okay, so you'll be starting on September the 17th. I said, oh man, you remember you, you told me I could have two weeks off on my honeymoon. He said, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, how is a day? And I was like, oh my like, God, this is my <laughs> first, my only break. And so I was like, yeah, I, uh, let me talk to my wife. And so I asked her and her exact words were, I don't care what we do as long as we get married. I was like, oh, yeah, oh my God. But yeah, we got married on the 16th uh, and drove on the 17th and started on the 18th. It is funny how that happens because like when John and I got married, I mean, we just like, we knew that we were going to get married. We had been in Reno. I was with him at live events and we were like, just like in the town, like a little bit hungover, walking around. We're like, let's go to the courthouse and get our marriage license because we're in the state of Nevada. That way we know we want to get married. We can just do it and call it a day. So, of course, six months after that, it's like burning a hole in my pocket. I'm like, are we going to do this or like what? So we end up getting married. Um, but yeah, we had to wait. Oh, I guess probably well, at least six months, I would say, until we finally got to go on our honeymoon. I mean, you know, the way that schedules, it's like impossible to actually get proper time off and depending on what your storyline is and what's going on and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of just along for the ride. You talked about WWE and having that big break. What were like the moments prior to that and actually having that opportunity come to fruition for you? It's one of those things where, you know, you hear someone say, you just don't care anymore and it'll happen. I got an opportunity to go to Japan and I went to Japan and worked for like a month or a month and a half or something. And um, while I was over in Japan, I said, you know what? I'm going to quit wrestling. Uh, I'm going to quit wrestling, use my degree, get a real job. I just want to be with her. And I want to take care of her for the rest of my life. And so I was going to quit wrestling at the end of that year. And I don't know how, but Regal got some of my footage and he found out about me and he called me and asked me to come do an extra spot. And I did. Funny enough, uh, it was the first time I'd ever really, I mean, we had met before, but we had never like conversed with, with cash. And we met there and they put us in the ring together and they said, we don't know how long you're, you're going to go. We'll just tell you when to stop or when to wrap it up, but just keep going until. So the first two matches went and we didn't, even, me and Dan, we didn't even have time to talk about anything. But first two matches went and um, they cut the guys off after two minutes or four minutes or whatever. So we got in the ring and we just started going. And then we kept going and going and going and they never stopped. And Scott Armstrong was like, keep going. They love it. Keep going. And we went like 15 minutes and um, finally, we, you know, we wrapped it up, went home. And right after that, I got the, the contract and <laughs> signed it for less money than I was making at my real job. So we picked up everything and left and went there. It is like crazy though, that like journey of, you know, finally making that thing come together. And I mean, look at, I mean, it's, it's really inspiring to see like what you guys were able to do in WWE. Now what you guys are doing in AEW. What about that moment of you guys wanting to bet on yourselves and for you to leave WWE and look for another opportunity? Cause you guys weren't going straight to AEW when you asked for your releases. Money is, is incredible. But I talked to my grandma and I was like, you know, telling her my issues. 
I was like, I'm just not happy, but the money is great, blah, blah, blah. And her exact words to me were, how much money do you really need? I was like, oh my God, that was like such an eye-opening experience for me. You know, I'm college educated and, you know, two degrees and stuff like that. And so I was like, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And we just, I don't know, it it's, sounds like I'm bitter, but I'm not at all. We just weren't happy. Not just us, but they were not giving any of the tag teams the opportunities we thought that it deserved. And we knew we would be stuck at a certain position if we stayed there. And um, man, for years and years and years and years, like since I, I can remember, I have prayed every single night to be a professional wrestler. And um, I take it very, very seriously. And knowing that they weren't going to give us the opportunities um, that we thought we, we deserved, I knew we just had to, to get out of there and, and make a name for ourselves. So we talked about it and they kept throwing more money at us, more and more money. I called my wife and I told her, I said, hey, this is the amount of money they offered us. I don't think we're going to take it. And she said, no money is worth your happiness. Do what you want. I said, oh my gosh, okay. And so we went back and told them no. And my wife was having health problems. So I told them like, look, not only do I not want to stay, I want to be home more with my wife. This is obviously before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit, they called us and they said, look, we know you want out. Your contracts are up in you know, two months or whatever, but Dave, we're going to extend your contract because of your injury until August. But the out is all these trademarks you have. If you sign them over to us, we will let you have your release, no 90 days, and we'll give it to you today. We had spent like ten or twenty thousand dollars on trademarks, like FTR, Shadow Machine, uh, No Flips, Just Fist, all this stuff—stuff stuff that we came up with, not them. But we were like, you know what? We want out so bad. We're just unhappy. Uh, just let them have it. It's just money. We called back and said, you can have all the trademarks. Just please give us our release, and they did. Wow. So, what was the time in between like for you guys while you were waiting to see what the opportunities were going to look like, either on the indie scene or what was going to happen with AEW? Almost immediately after the release. I mean, you know, we had had talks with Cody and, and through Cody, we had, had talks with Tony. So from the time that we asked for a release to the year later, we knew there was an opportunity for us. So we weren't worried or anything, but um, it was kind of scary because the pandemic had just hit. Uh, we were just so, um, so unhappy. Uh, and I never wanted to get to the point where I wasn't happy and bringing it home. Yeah, no doubt. I know when you're so passionate about something, you got to kind of find a way to still keep that light and fun and to still enjoy that because as soon as that's gone, it gets rough out there for sure. I know that you've talked about this before, but I'm not sure how in-depth you've gone with it, but you suffered from bulimia. What was that like experience like for you? Like, How did that start? So it was right after high school. Um, I actually got out of high school. So I, was, I played high school football and, you know, I was just, you know, eating whatever because I was a lineman. So I was trying to get, you know, big. And I got to like, I don't know, 285 pounds. I'd always been a big kid, but I just got really, really, really big. And then I continued to eat that way as a lineman after high school. And so without that extra physical activity, I just put on so much weight and uh, I was embarrassed and um, I was just ashamed. And I had a buddy who moved in with me and my dad, I don't know, maybe a year before that, because um, he had some family problems at home and he'd come live with us. And uh, he was overweight too. One day I caught him doing it outside. And I was like, hey, what, what the fuck are you doing? And he said, I'm so sorry, man, but you know this. And I said, well, why are you doing it? 
well, to help me lose weight. I said, oh, I said, does it work? He said, well, I went from this weight to this weight. I started doing it too and um, working out and trying to get in the best shape, you know, for wrestling um, or for wrestling school. Again, something that became routine. Addiction's never been a problem for me. So thankfully, I was able to just stop. But uh, it, it got really bad to a point like I was every single day at the end of the day, I would go outside and just so my dad couldn't hear me and I would just throw up. What did that do to your body doing that for that period of time? Like, did it exhaust you or like, like what were sort of the ramifications of that? It was very scary when I realized like, I can't go a day without doing this. Uh, the, the body dysmorphia, like how I viewed myself and how embarrassed I was of myself. And then I was embarrassed of what I was doing, you know, and then it would just become this cycle thing because um, I was thinking, okay, well, if I can get to this weight, I'll stop, you know, and then I could not be embarrassed about anything. I would lose the weight, but the body dysmorphia would never go away because one, because you've got it stuck in your head, but two, like when you're doing that, you're not getting any nutrients in your body. So as hard as I was working out, I was never building any muscle mass. So I got, you know, what's called skinny fat. My body would get, I don't know, to my, my opinion, I would look worse than when I was actually heavy. So more than like physically, it just wrecked me mentally. So you've mentioned body dysmorphia a few times. And it's funny because I, I like you and I were talking prior to this and I just, I can't imagine somebody kind of not having body dysmorphia to some degree. Like I feel like I never know what I look like. I can never tell if I'm like, Am I fat? Am I athletic? Am I skinny? Like, I just have no concept of what I look like sometimes. I'm like, do other people feel that way? Like, they must. I, I don't know. I find it, it's very confusing. When did that start to happen for you to have that, that body dysmorphia kind of kick in? Right after football. I mean, and I did, I gained a lot of weight. And so I would wear the same clothes that I had and they were like super tight, but I was too like prideful to go buy bigger clothes. And so I'd myself in a mirror and I think, oh my gosh, what, what's going on with me? And, and I had no, I mean, I'm from a very small town in North Carolina, you know, and so we're not the most health conscious in that little bitty town. And so I had no clue about like carbs and fats and nutrition and things like that. I just ate to eat. That's when I started like experiencing the body dysmorphia. I never had it in high school. I would get called fat in high school, but like that never, ever bothered me. But like right after high school, it was, I don't know, it got really, really bad. And that's when I started um, experiencing the, the, the middle body dysmorphia. So now I've, I've gone from this 280 pound, almost 300 pound fat guy. I've lost all this weight. And so now I have this uh, excess skin that hangs, you know, as disgusting as it sounds. I hate even talking about it, but like I have this excess skin around my belly um, that I have to have surgery to get rid of. But, you know, with our schedule, we can't do that. And I get on social media as well. And then, you, you know, people see me in my trunks and, you know, they don't know what I've been through, what I've, what happened. Or they, they just, you know, see this and I'm like, oh my God, how can this, you know, he looks like this. No wonder he's, you know, not in the main event or whatever, you know, you read that stuff and, you know, no one knows. They don't know how much they're affecting a person. I can let most of it slide off my back, but in some days it's like, Waking up every morning, I'm doing this fasting thing. I'm, you know, busting my ass in the gym. I'm trying to eat right. 
I'm working as hard as I can in the ring. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be the best wrestler in the world. That's my, that's what I want to do. And sometimes I think I'm doing that just so you ignore the fact that I don't have the best body. So it's, uh, you know, it's a never ending cycle, especially on social media. It's so crazy. Just like how hard people are on other people about their bodies. Like as if like, we shouldn't all just be applauding you for the work that you have done to be healthy and to get your body to where it is. But to imagine like, well, okay, you did this one thing. Why can we not have it be absolutely perfect? That's such a weird expectation that we put on other people or that other people put on you. It's such a vicious cycle. It's so crazy. Instead of being like, holy shit, you did this thing. Like, hell yeah. Like how inspirational to other people that could be in that situation, trying to lose that weight and trying to get, you know, the health side of it more than anything. But this aesthetic side of it that comes with it that's so vicious. I've never understood it. And I try to make sure that I teach my daughter not to be that way. But also, I, I don't want her to know how regimented I try to be on my nutrition and my food. I don't want her to know either because I don't want her to have that expectation that she has to grow up and do the same thing. Besides the shitty people that are in the business, that's the main reason I don't want her to be a wrestler is because I don't want her to have to go through that. Like the bumps and the bruises and stuff, you know, whatever. But like dealing with self-image and, and, you know, how you have to meet people's expectations. I never, I mean, she's going to have to, but I never want her to, to think about that or go through that. That's one of those things I find. Um, I mean, I have a daughter as well. She's only eight months. But those are the things that you think about and the, the society that we're bringing our kids up in. Like, I think all the time, if I have my like phone out, if she were to see like the filters that we put on our faces for her to feel like, oh, just her regular beautiful face is not enough. And we need to add this contour. We need to have our nose thinned out or our lips plumped a little bit more like that shit just rattles my brain. And I can't imagine a kid growing up like that because we didn't have to grow up like that. We weren't under the microscope in that way. We didn't strive for this perfection the way that kids do now. It's such a scary thing to imagine with a daughter. Um, okay. So on a different note entirely, you have struggled with some anxiety. Is it something you're still kind of going through or is this something you've overcome to a degree? Dude, I don't know if you ever overcome, you know, but again, I'm so new to it. I don't know. Uh, I, I think I still struggle with it. You and I had talked about this before. Like my anxiety is different than what yours is. Mine truly stems from like really bad, like claustrophobia. Going into like a lavatory on a plane is my fucking nightmare. No, thank you. Or like being stuck in, in like an elevator or something that makes me like, it makes me start to sweat even to talk about it. I can't even think about it, but that's the kind of anxiety that I get. And it sprung from one specific moment. But for you, what was sort of the tipping point that made this all kind of unfold? It was June the 5th. I was, we were in, um, we were in Jacksonville, Florida. I was in a hotel room. I just couldn't go to sleep. I didn't sleep at all. And I was like calling Marie. I was freaking out. It was like six in the morning and I'm walking around the hotel outside. I'd never experienced this before in my life. And so I'm, I'm freaking out and I finally uh, get back to my room and I fall asleep for like two hours at like seven in the morning and I wake up and I call her and I was like, oh my God, I, you know, last night I was freaking out. I couldn't sleep and you know, it was, my heart was racing. I didn't know what was going on. The night came again and I couldn't go to sleep again. And so I was like, okay, God, what the, I don't know what's going on. I can't sleep. 
I think I slept maybe that night, maybe three hours. And so I was like, okay, I just want to go home. I'm going to get home. Things will be so much better. I'll be in my, my safe space at home. Got home. I jumped in bed and I was like, babe, I don't know what's going on. This is freaking me out, but you know, whatever. And so I lay in bed and I don't know, a jolt went through my brain and I could not cut it off and I couldn't close my eyes. My heart was racing throughout the next few weeks. I called like four doctors, you know, and I'm so lucky that we work for the company we work for because I was able to talk to Doc Sampson day and night. I don't know if you remember um, Dr. DeQuino from WWE. But he was a friend of mine on Facebook and he saw that I was going through some issues with sleeping because I posted on Facebook, like, has anybody ever had insomnia? Because I think I have it. And he called me and dude, day and night, again, he would answer my texts or call me or whatever. That was the, the tipping point. Through therapy, I found out this is something that's been going on for a while. In terms of it going on for a while, it was just something that was like kind of building and building and then you, you broke. Through talking with my therapist for a couple of months, that's what we found out. I don't know, when I found out where the issue came from, it almost like freed me a little bit. And that sounds kind of corny, but like it did, it almost freed me. Can you say what it was that was sort of like the seedling for it? Maria had a miscarriage. Me and her and Finley, we, we still lived in Orlando and we were going to the mall and she hadn't felt good all day. And she was like, I just, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel right, but let's just go to the mall. And she kept like telling me how she didn't feel right. I said, you know what, let's go to the hospital or let's go to the doctor or whatever it was. And uh, let's get you checked out. So you don't, you know, you're not worried about it. And then we'll go on about our day. So we went there, she checked in and she sat down and they, they said, uh, Maria Harwood. And as soon as she stood up, she lost everything. And uh, she ran to the bathroom and I followed her in there. And uh, she had our little, little, little tiny baby in her hand. She is so broken. And she was so worried and so upset and so scared and so embarrassed, all these other emotions she was going through. So like I had to be strong for her. So I didn't want her to see me worried or upset, you know, because she had so much to worry about. So I hit all that stuff. When I would drive to, when I would drive to the performance center or whatever, I would break down almost every day. It was one of these things where I'd break down and I would question God because I had and I do now have a relationship with God. But I questioned, and I said, God, why? You know, why did you do this to us? And just give me an answer. And I never was mad or angry, but, but I just wanted to know why this happened to us. And I think what happened was so much stuff just piled up and I lost it. I am so sorry you guys went through that. I can't imagine what that's like. And yeah, I mean, I, I understand the concept of like wanting to be strong and wanting to make sure that Maria's okay, make sure Finley's okay. And to take on that burden and you're suppressing all these emotions or handling them kind of yourself um, on those car drives, like you were saying, and having those moments of breaking down, but like, God, it's, it really is crazy when you, you know, you try to think of what our capacities are of like what we can handle and how you can like put certain things aside or put things on the back burner and then stuff always ends up creeping up and it will catch up to you. Not that I would suppress things, but like I would, I would just get angry. I told Dan this, like I would go to AW and I'd want people to think I was angry. I want them to not approach me. I, I don't know. I felt some kind of comfort in being miserable for some reason. I don't know. I lost friendships and probably didn't make relationships that would have been good for me because I felt that way. Again, I don't want to preach or anything, but like uh, one day, uh, this was just, it, it was 
this lasted for a few months and I couldn't sleep or I was scared to go to sleep at night. And I said, God, look, I know you're up there. I know you're there. You've got to be there. Please just take over and heal me because it was ruining my life. Again, I'm not here to preach, but the very next day, that's when I realized, you know, where it started from. And then little by little, uh, I started breaking the walls down for my anxiety and started therapy. And um, I was like, well, you know, why? Because again, Southern guy, you know, uh, we thought as Southerners, especially Southern men, that therapy meant you're going crazy. And so when Maria told me she's going to go into therapy, I'm like, why? You know, are you not happy? And she said, no, I just want someone to talk to. And I'm like, well, you can talk to me. But no, no, I want someone I can talk to who understands what I'm going through and can listen to me. And I was like, okay, I get that. Without her, I would have been super embarrassed and never would have done it. Without her, I would have never got on medication because I was so embarrassed to take medication. I've never, you know, aside from surgeries and stuff, I've never like taken pain pills or done drugs or anything like that. And she had to tell me, hey, this medication was made for you. It, it was made to help you. The bad rep it gets is from the people who take this medication all day to stay high and drink with it and stuff like that. That's where the bad reputation for the medication comes from. And without her telling me that almost every single day, um, I don't know if I would have taken the medication. And it did. Medication also gave me my life back. It's really crazy the lack of education that we can have on these things and the stereotypes that come with them. They get ingrained in our brains from kind of, you know, a pretty young age. So it's it's really interesting now to like, yeah, to be on the other side of it and to break down those stereotypes and not feel like taking these drugs or going to a therapist is for a crazy person. It's like, no, these things exist for a reason and lean into that and get the help that you need instead of, I guess, like kind of choosing to suffer or you think that you can deal with things yourself or you think that it's going to go away or it'll eventually just get better. Um, that can obviously be such a slippery, dangerous slope that people can find themselves in. So I feel like once you first get that inkling of like, oh shit, I maybe need to get some help here. Um, and I think guys like you being able to, to talk about this stuff really helps a lot of other people that could be in a similar situation and have that same thought process. I hope so. Especially for men, we're all taught to be prideful. And uh, I was the same way. My dad, you know, was very proud of the fact that he was a, I mean, I say a single father. My mom was there too, just as much, but he was a single father. He was cooking for us. He was cleaning for us. He, you know, he worked his ass off at a hard job that there's no way I could ever do it. But he was prideful that he was, he was able to provide for us like that. He instilled that in me indirectly. And so even when I told him, hey, I think I'm going to go to therapy. He, why, why, why do you want to go through therapy? You know, what, 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 why? So yeah, as a man, I hope that I'm able to continue to share my story, to let other guys know, like, it's okay. Like if you're weak, that's okay. Because I was the weakest of weak. There was no one in that little bit, that period of time, no one in this world was weaker than me. And I am just lucky and fortunate that I could recognize that. I'm not strong enough to do this myself and lucky and fortunate enough to have a perfect wife that took care of me and made sure that I took the right steps. And whenever I was scared to go to sleep, because that was, that was it. That was my anxiety to sleep. She would say, I'll stay up with you all night. I don't care. Like I'll be here for you. 
And she would stay up with me until I finally passed out and she would go to sleep. And she would sleep four hours a night too, just to make sure that I felt okay. So having a therapist is good, but having a Maria is better. How was mullet life treating you? It's been good. I had to, I trimmed it a little bit. I just felt like it needed something to make it grow a little bit. It was starting <laughs> you to, had to wilt. get a little trim, get a little more full. Now it's feeling fresh, a little more life to it, so I can start the flow again. How do the ladies like the mullet? People love the mullet. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> loves the mullet. So it's because they, they probably don't know what they're going to get from you. They're like, "What's this guy going to bring to the table? Um, is he going to be like a little bit of a scumbag? Is he a little dangerous? What do I get from him?" The funny thing is, is that mullets run in my family. You're a generational mullet. I mean, I have a family photo if, you, if we have time for you to look that up. I have all the time for you to look that up. I would love nothing more than to see these mullets. It shouldn't be too far down the old Facebook profile. While you're looking that up, I'll just continue to ask you questions about the mullet. Um, when you went to the hairdressers and were like, I'm ready to commit to a mullet, did they try to talk you out of it? Did they lean into it? What happened? No. Uh, so I've been going to the same same barber for a couple of years down here. He's one of the maestros, um, but he his actual shop is like 10 minutes from my house. So I've been going to him forever. And it started out as just a burst fade to grow out some in the back just a little bit, um, mostly because I have that scar back there. I get, I get tired of people asking me about it. So you don't want me to ask you about it? I don't like strangers asking me about it. But we were at a gas station one time after an NXT show in Fort Pierce, it's probably 2016 or so. And this guy behind me in line just starts touching the back of my head. Shut up. Oh, no, no. It happens constantly. Finger to scar. Yes. And so like Dax, this is the first time he's seen it happen. And he's like, hey, don't touch him <laughs> <laughs> before I could even say anything. So I'm annoyed by it, but I'm used to it at this point because it's from a burn that I got. It's like two separate scars. One is a burn from an old wood stove that we had. I got too close to it in the morning and it just branded me. How old were you when that happened? Second grade. Oh my God. That must have been brutal. It was. Like it didn't even hurt that bad. It just. Because it was so bad that it didn't hurt. Yeah. It just Ugh. branded me. It was like, it was like a, the sear. I was like, ah, what? And then I thought my brother was messing with me when he started freaking out because he, like, I was the youngest brother. And I was just sure he was making me like freak out. And then my mom seen it and freaked out. And then I freaked out because if mom was freaking out, then it was real, you know? Yeah. So the other one is actually like, it's just a line that comes out of the scar, but it's from, I got hit by like a, a wooden bat when I was a kid in a, in a fight. And I was beating up one kid and his brother hit me in the back of the head. So did you have it coming or this was like? No, it was two on one. It was like, they were our best friends growing up, but we lived right across from them. We'd always get in like childhood scuffles. Um, they were making fun of us, my brother, because he got in trouble. And I was like, shut up. And they kept doing it. So like, if you do it again, we're going to fight. And then the fight happened and his brother was getting beat up. So he was like, got to protect his brother. Kids are nuts. I remember something similar to that happened to my brother. We lived like our house backed into the woods. And I remember my brother came like hauling ass. We must have been like, God, he's probably like, I don't know, 12 or under. And my stepbrother at the time smoked him in the back of the head with, um, it's either like a stick of a shovel or like something like that. But this kid was like nuts. This like stepbrother, which is like super questionable, 
smoked my brother in the head. And my brother's like not a fighter. He's like pretty tame. Like I, he is definitely like a shit disturber, but not a fighter. So I don't really know what happened there. But yeah, I remember he came home and that was when I like first learned about like what concussions were. Because my mom's like, don't let him fall asleep. We've got to keep him awake. He got hit in the head. And anyways, yeah, it's like really scary when that stuff happens, especially when you're a kid. These kids were like our we lived next to him for a couple of years. And like I was the youngest and then his brother, there was one my age and then there was an older brother that was my older brother's age. So like we would always hang out and play and eventually like boys will be boys as they say and like we'd get like after a couple of weeks of getting along there'd be a fight and so my brother was banned from the yard and that's why they were making fun of him like I could still come over and play but he couldn't we didn't know this at the time but he was hiding in the woods this whole time so like he he saw them picking on me like making fun of him and like like I told him it was gonna like we were gonna fight and then the fight happened I'm fighting the younger brother the one that's my age the older one hits me and then I'm just kind of dazed and like bloody and I see my brother come out of the woods and just start like going to town on this dude. And I was like, Ray, where were you at? Like, (laughs) like I said, I didn't know he was hiding in the woods this whole time. So it was just, I mean, it was wild. And then now I just have like this crazy scar in the back of my head. So anyway, that's why I decided to grow the hair out a little bit in the back. And then it just kept becoming like a, I should grow a mullet now. And I would joke about it and I would let it get a little bit longer. I'd be like, Nope, trim it. And finally, I was just like, let's do it. I have nothing to lose. I don't care. I like the mullet lifestyle. I think it's great. The only thing I regret now is that it's becoming popular again. I wish I had done it a year or two ago when I joked about it, but I never had the guts to do it because I really have joked about it pretty much my entire life. If you see any of my family members, if I ever find this picture. So while we're talking about pictures of hair this morning... I was texted another picture of your hair from a mutual friend that we have as you were joining the Straight Edge Society. Phil, I guess, (laughs) sent you these pictures. (laughs) He did. Yeah, because he texted me. He's like, oh, I'm listening to the Dax episode. I was like, oh, I've got cash on today. And he's like, did you know he was a member of the Straight Edge Society? I was like, excuse me, what? And he sent me those photos. It happened on a random live event. It wasn't even televised. But they reached out like, hey, how long is your hair? And I was like, uh, not that long, honestly. I just had it cut recently. Like, okay, well, would you be willing to have it shaved? And I was like, uh, yeah, when? Like tomorrow in Carolina. And I was like, yeah, sure. So like they want me to just dress up like I'm, an ex- like I'm in the crowd. They put me front row. He comes out and him and Gallows do their thing. And I jump up and down, try to get noticed. And they come over, bring me into the ring and shave my head like and Punk, obviously, again, I don't blame him because didn't remember it at all because I, I was a totally different person at that point. Like I didn't, wasn't known in wrestling at all. And I never really talk about it because I did so many damn extra spots that at some point I probably did an extra with somebody super famous that they don't remember. But Gallows remembered when I met him and he was like, I know you from somewhere. Did we shave your head? And this was like years later. I was like, yeah, great memory, dude. I'm surprised he remembers that. <laughs> I feel like his life is a blur. Great recall on him. <laughs> yeah. But when Deebs posted her picture the other day of getting shaved, I was like, oh, man, I, for- I should tell Punk about this because I don't think he remembers and I've never brought it up to him. And finally, I just sent him the pictures. And I don't- Can we cuss on this? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let loose. No fucking way. <laughs> He's like, why have you never told me about this? And I was like, yeah, when the time was right, you know? <laughs> yeah. So... 
Yeah, I'm a member of the Straight Edge Society. Uh, I was a paramedic for Mark Henry when he pulled the trucks. I was a cameraman when Mark Henry hit me with a chair. I was a bag boy for Cody. No way. Yeah, for Cody and Randy. I was the bag boy for their, it was like a last man standing match on SmackDown. And it was a fantastic match. So like for me, like I love watching both those guys anyway. So getting to watch that match live, like next to them and kind of hear how they they were putting it together before I had any sort of TV experience. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. So that was like a really cool learning experience. But like I said, I did a ton of extra spots. So How was that? Because Dax and I were talking about that, about how much yours and his paths would cross as you guys were both booked as extras a ton. Did you hit a point where you were like, I guess I'm just going to be an extra? When am I going to get my big break? Like, what's going to happen here? Or did it feel like you were getting so close? So... There was a point where it was frustrating, but I'd also had a talk with Regal in, like, I want to say 2011. And he had told me, he was like, I'll, I'll help you get as much experience as you can. He's like, I'll put in words for you. Like, and he got me to England. He helped get me to Japan. He helped get me to Mexico. Like, and he helped me get to all these different places. And like, he would just kind of put out the word and put me in touch with somebody and then I could do the rest of it. But like, the fact that he would do that, and he was like, whenever you think you're ready for a tryout, let us know. And he's like, otherwise, Anytime we're around and you need the money or you want just to, to be the, like get here from the experience and be seen, he's like, you got a free pass, basically. Anytime they were in the area or they needed somebody, I would drive to D.C. on a last minute notice, like just because I wanted I wanted the experience and I wanted to get back there and kind of become involved. Well, it's such a different thing learning about the TV aspect of things, because when you don't know that and you're flung into it and trying to figure out where's hard camera, how do I know what the times are, learning from taking the time cues from the ref and all that, like if you don't know, how else are you going to get that experience? I'd always wanted to be like Eddie and Dean and Regal and Fit and these guys that had been to all these different countries and they'd spent time there and they'd learned that style. And then, you know, went to WCW or WWF or whatever they chose at that time. Like, I always wanted to learn all those things before I went. Like, I wanted to be as good of a wrestler and know as much as I, I could and see as much on my own without having my hand held, I guess. So how did you develop the relationship with Regal? Was he sort of like the first real notable guy to take you under his wing? So I think it was more from Adam and Ed, like... But I think Regal, like, had, he had taken a liking to me before because I was an extra. And it was before he really knew me. This before Adam knew you or Regal? I knew Adam a little bit, but we, we were just acquaintances at that point. I don't think he'd even seen me wrestle. So the first day, Regal introed all of us and told us what to expect. And the next, he was like, the next day, I want you guys ringside at this time, no matter what time. Like, if the ring's up or not, be here. Be ready to go. I remembered that. And I was like, okay, the next morning I was doing everything I could, eating and all that before I got to the building so I could be ready to go change and get out there. And I got to the, the extra locker room and I'm getting changed. And the other guy's like, oh, we're going to go eat real quick. And I was like, you have like five minutes. Like Regal's waiting out there probably now. No, no, it's the ring's not even up yet. And I was like, he said, it, it doesn't matter. They didn't care. They went and they ate. As soon as I walked out there, he was waiting. He looked at his watch and he was like, oh, at least one of you listened. And Honestly, we sat there and we talked for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. The conversational Regal was like, look, he's like, I want, I want to help you get as much experience as you can. So if that's what you want to do, I can talk to some people. And I, I was like, please give me an email and I'll email them. Like just whatever you think will work. What's your mom like? What's like your family like? I want to get into the deep throes of the family. Tell me about mama. So my mom's the sweetest, like especially now, like in her, her older years, like she's always been pretty laid back for us. But like my family life, I don't, 
it's so all over the place. I don't know if I could even paint the picture of it. So my dad had me when, when he was 45. So he was already very up there at that point. My mom was 33. My dad had 13 children. Spread that seed. <laughs> so four of them were adopted. Two that were like same mom, same dad. The rest were half. But there were 13 of us. And I was the youngest of all of them. I got all the hand-me-downs. Someone sent me a picture the other day of me wearing the biggest sweater I've ever seen in my life. Like it engulfed me because I'm also way shorter than my brothers for whatever reason. Like my two full brothers, they're like six one and six two, and then I'm hanging out down here. So <laughs> they don't even use their height, whatever. <laughs> no resentment. Yeah. For the most part, like by the time I was 13, they had all moved out. Like either my parents split up pretty young for me. My middle brother, Ray, went to live with my dad. Michael was at that point old enough to go live on his own. So it was just kind of me. Um, so it was, you, you, it was you and your mom. Your one brother went to your dad's and your other brother had already moved out. Yes. That must have been hard separating from your siblings. I was always kind of different from my family. Like I was the youngest. So I don't know if it's just because I kind of got to watch everybody else make their mistakes. And I was like, All right, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Shouldn't do that. Like they would tell me I was adopted. And I'd be like, oh. I hope so. Like kind of joking around. <laughs> yeah. Like Larry yeah. David thing where he gets super excited thinking he's adopted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that maybe, maybe there was a chance, but yeah. So I won't go too deep into it because it could take days, but like, we didn't have any money. And my dad was an alcoholic for like the early years of my life. He got clean for the most part, like later him and my mom split up and she got with the, he's not my stepdad anymore. Thank God. But he was, just a gigantic alcoholic piece of shit. My parents weren't perfect by any means, but like I, I enjoyed my childhood for the most part. Like I wouldn't change any of it. Like we were poor. Like I don't remember a lot of it because we were young, but by the time we, I was five, we had moved like nine times because we just couldn't afford places and we just kept bouncing around. There was a point like where my dad had custody of us and we lived with my dad when, from like a year or two, but he didn't have a real house. It's so, like we didn't know like – but we, he had like this garage that he was a mechanic at the time. So he had a garage and we would just sleep at the garage. And like, we would just sleep in cars that he had, like he, he was working on. And like, we'd fight over who could sleep on the roller thing that rolled under the car. It's <laughs> like, <"Dibs." laughs> the dolly. Yeah. But like, we were basically like wildlife. Yeah. But great. Like we didn't really have, we could go. I, I remember being like six years old out on my own, riding around the town on my bike. Neither of my parents knew and no, like I would go back home and nobody even noticed so that kind of thing. Like not like they were absentee, but like they were just they trusted us for the most part. It was a different time too. It definitely it was, was a different time where like you could get away with stuff like that a little more. I feel like this day and age, there's no way that would fly. But depending on like what the town is that you're growing up in, what that situation is like, it was a different time then. The population of my town was less than 800. It's like it was a small town, small town. Like everybody knew everybody. It was. And it was a very poor town. So like my brothers would put me down in the wishing well so I could take all people, all the people's money. Oh my God. They would lower me down in there. Like there's, it's still there in the middle of the town. Like, but they would lower me down in there. And I would pocket some change, lift me back out while they kept watch. We had our food stamps too. Like, so we'd take our little food stamps over and buy candy. <laughs> Childhoods are fucking crazy, man. Like everyone goes through so much shit that you would have no idea. But like, here you are this like functioning adult man. That's like, you're fine. I'm kind of a functioning adult now, but at the time I was kind of like an angry kid. So I, got, I dropped out of school probably 11th. It was 11th grade, like 
could have graduated if I had just stuck with it because I, I did well in school, but I, I got in too much trouble. And there was like one really bad instance where my mom was like, I'm not letting you go back to school. I'm, I'm, she's like, I literally won't sign for you to go back. What happened? Do you want to talk about it or no? I won't go into great detail, but there was just a kid that uh, was kind of bullying me. Like, and he apologized years later. Like, and I could have handled the situation way better too. But like, he said something that made fun of me. And then like, he made a comment about my girlfriend at the time. I told him, I was like, hey, one of you now, he said, one more thing, I'm going to knock you out. He said, one more thing. And I took my backpack straps off and I stood up. And the teacher kind of got in between us and I just kind of just armed out of the way and cold cocked him. Oh, shit. He was going to press charges or his parents were, the school was, and the teacher was. But the teacher kind of instigated it. And the kid that I punched, more power to him. He said, yeah, the teacher was kind of egging it on. I said some stuff. He told me, and I don't want to press charges. When he didn't press charges and he told the principal what happened, like she got reprimanded. But it was a pretty big ordeal. And for a little while there, it looked like I was going to get triple sued, you know? So, so my mom was like, yeah, it's not happening. Not going back. And so I, I ended up getting a job like at 17 and just kind of rented a room from some friends. And that was it. Like, you know, I got my GED. I, I did my, my two years at a um, community college and I started working on my bachelor's, which I just kind of work on sporadically now because I'm not, I'm not in a big hurry to get it done. How much was wrestling like a thing that you really relied on during all of that stuff to to just sort of distract? Without being cheesy, it was everything. Yeah. I mean, watching, you know, looking at guys like, I mean, I know you're obviously a big Bret Hart fan, but like, what was the stuff that, sorry, I'm not trying to make you emotional. <laughs> we actually joked about this before you came on. You're like, Don't make me cry. It was not my intention. I, I feel like I'm getting emotional now. You know, when you're a kid and you're going through that stuff and you have those distractions, you have the things to like keep you in line and like give you hope and like things to look forward to. It's, you, you know, when you think of wrestling and you doing the profession now, it's it's really crazy to um, think of the effects that you have on people that are watching. Look at us all emotional. Fuck. I'm sorry I made you cry. I didn't mean to. It's good to talk about it, but I just never... I always knew like eventually I would, but I never was like, all right, I knew, I knew someday it would all like, I wanted to tell the story because I think it'll help others, but obviously big baby. I love when people are so passionate about the thing that they fucking love. It's crazy to me when people are just so passive about everything or people don't have that passion. That's not something that I can relate to. It's when people have that passion about something and for that to be a thing when you're going through some like real life shit and that was your escape. Hey, the other day you and I were talking and you were saying something about how you are the last wheeler to pass along the family name. Is this a pressure that you're feeling? Yeah, kind of now it is like 34. I'm the, the youngest of all my dad's kids. So I'm the, the last one with the Wheeler name that hasn't had kids. And the thing is like, I'm sure I want kids someday, but I'm not even fully convinced of it yet. I'm 34. To be fair, I was not that person that was always like, I'm dying to have kids. I'm dying to be a mom. Like I was not that woman. But I did start to get the itch, I would say like around like 33. I don't know if that was like my biological clock ticking, being like, bitch, you better get on it. But now having a baby and being a mom, like it really, I mean, as cheesy as it is, it's like that thing. You don't know it until you're like in it and you're like, holy shit, why did I do this fucking like 10 years ago? This is amazing. 
And I believe it because like I, I've been there with Dave through like his entire, like Finley was just being born at this time and stuff like that. So like I've got to see her grow up and I get to see how much they love every bit of it, even the stressful parts of it. Like I believe that if I do have that, like I'm, I'm going to love every minute of it and wonder why. But right now I, I don't know if it's just something where, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could go to a therapist and they could tell me a tons of reasons why, but I worry too much about wrestling that I would feel bad about wanting to accomplish what I want to accomplish still and being gone more. Like I think maybe for me, I would just feel like I'm missing out on a lot and I'm, I would want to do that later. But I, I also kind of joked that my dad was 45. So I have 11 years to work with. Yeah. Your biological clock is just fine. I'm just not hitting my prime. It's fine. I feel like everyone kind of hits their prime and hits their stride in like their mid thirties. Where like for a chick, if you're like, all right, I'm I'm doing it. Everything is great. My career's awesome, blah, blah, blah. Then you're like, oh my God, wait, now I have to have my family. I've got to do all these things. And it, it does definitely like pumps the brakes on some things. Or you're like, oh my God, I'm trying to juggle everything of like, I want to be the best mom. I want to be the best wife. I want to keep my career going the best way that I can. There's some days I'm just like, I want to take a fucking nap so badly. <laughs> I'm so tired. It's so much work. I can't, yeah, I see a lot of the the girls now like that I've worked with that have had babies and they're coming back. And I, I just can't imagine like the amount of work they have to put in to to be a good mom, to be like successful at the top of the wrestling business too. Like I'll give you I give you ladies a round of applause. Especially the women that are like wrestling and like wrestling while breastfeeding and like all these things that like you don't even know until you're in it. And like once I went through that, I was like, how the fuck did you do that i don't think i can do it at this point right now i think i need a few more years to get there because right now i'm like i gotta brush my teeth again <laughs> i know in 12 hours <laughs> i will say as a mom there's days i'm like did i brush my teeth this morning where am i at <laughs> but yeah so it's i crazy. feel like the amount of things you have to juggle in order to do what you guys do like hats off to you because i can't do it i'm still terrified of it that's why i'm the name probably dies with me. <laughs> no, you'll do it. You'll do it. You'll do it. You'll get to it. Um, okay. My final thing before I let you go, um, I would like to know what the status is of your friendship with Orville Peck. Are you guys still buddies? Is he still commenting on your photos? Where are we at? Because this is my fucking dream team. Still close, but I haven't talked to him as much lately because I feel like everybody just, he, especially like Orville's taking off nowadays. Yeah, like, it's huge. I, I love to see like the success he's had from the time that, I discovered him via your tweet to now, but like, yeah, we still keep in touch. Like he'll respond to a story. I'll respond to one of his or I was like, we wanted to use one of his songs for stadium stampede, but we just couldn't get it cleared in time. The fight with Santana Ortiz. We were going to have that playing in the background. Oh man. I would have been so happy. We were working on that and it just like, he was all for it. It was like, we can do this. We can do this. And it just didn't work. One other time before that, we wanted to use it in the video package because Hangman's a big horrible fan also. So he wanted to use it in our video package to build up for me and Dave versus him and Kenny. What song were you guys going to use? So he wanted to use Small Town Boy um, for, for that one. I, I honestly, I wanted to use Buffalo Run for the fight scene in the, the stadium stampede bar scene. Man, that would have been amazing. That oh, no, been I'm so sorry. Cool. I'm going to decline this. Who's calling? I think my car is ready for pickup. Oh, good. Good. See, what a good way to kill some time, right? Great. Tell me about all of your emotions. I mean, it exhausts you for the day. I can say now that I could probably address it a little bit more. Like my stepdad, obviously, terrible part of my life. Hated him, abusive to 
my mom, like not just my mom, like me as well. So like, that's something I never talked about. So like wrestling was the only escape. Like we would go, I would get home, drop my stuff off and leave the house. And that was because I didn't want to be around. Them. It's like you go, you go to the wrestling ring and you just wrestle. And then I would watch wrestling and I'm like, I want to do that. And I would be like, all right, well, if I want to be a wrestler, I can't smoke cigarettes. If I want to be a wrestler, I can't go out and I got to take care of myself. Like, and I just like that kept me on the straight and narrow because there were times where a lot of my friends got on drugs and like a lot of my childhood friends now passed away from overdoses and stuff. I can't fathom the fact that they're gone now because of that. Like I'd watch wrestling with those guys. Like that's kind of what helped me get into it. Cause when I didn't have cable and I'd stay at their house, we'd watch wrestling and that's how I got my wrestling fix. Knowing they're gone now because they went down the wrong path. Like I wonder if wrestling didn't like keep me going forward. Cause I was like, I want to be a wrestler. I got it. I can't, can't smoke, can't go hang out and do that. Don't want to do that. Oh, I don't want to drink. I didn't get drunk for the first time until I was like 23. Did being around alcoholics give you like a strange relationship with alcohol? Yeah, it still does. To this day, like I can, I can drink fine if I want to, but then like all of a sudden it'll just start turning my stomach. I can have one beer and it'll be fine. I can take a sip of another one. I'm like, nope, I'm done. Like it just makes me, like the smell of it makes me sick. Like taking a sip of it makes me sick. And I think it's a mental thing for me. Addiction ran in my family. It runs in my family. I don't think I have an addictive personality, but I don't want to find out either. That can be like such a scary thing of like knowing like, is it, it's like, wait, is that just like lying dormant and like waiting to like rear its ugly head at me one day? So it's like, I, I mean, it's, it's obviously so great to be aware of that stuff. I feel like it's like that healthy fear that keeps you on track rather than just going, fuck it. This is what my future is going to be. So I'm just going to lean into it. And that's kind of why I say I feel like I was always a little bit different because I was the youngest and I got to see those things. And I was like, always kind of like more scared when I would see like somebody drunk and like acting stupid. I was like, why are they acting like this? It's like when I got older, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. But also, like I said, like wrestling made me like want to strive for more. Whereas like my dad was an addict. My, I've had siblings that either are or were addicts. So like, you know, that was something that I've always had to deal with. Like, even though I've never been struggling with it myself. I watched them go down the wrong path and do the drugs that they shouldn't be doing and getting addicted and becoming like shells of themselves. And then I was like, you know what? I can't do that. If I want to be a wrestler, I can't even tempt fate and try it because if I am an addict, then I'm done for. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess great to be able to have that. It, it, not hindsight is 2020. You had like the foresight of like, this is not the path that I want to go down and could just completely steer clear of it. So Kudos to you being that youngest child that could learn from other people's mistakes. Thanks to wrestling, though. Honestly, like I say it all the time. and It sounds cliche, but it did. I think it saved my life. Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I have taken up like your whole day. I could keep talking to you all day, but um, this was a lot of fun. That's the first time I really delved into that aspect of it in any sort of in-depth way. So hopefully that can help some other kid that wants to be a wrestler someday that doesn't have any money or doesn't really have the highest of hopes to, to look at every day. Yeah. And you know, I think part of that too is like, you know, when you're a kid and you think like, I don't have anything, I don't have fucking two pennies to rub together that you think that there's no way you can pull something like that off. But if you're determined enough, I mean, literally the story you told about wanting to be there to meet William Regal, it's that shit. It's knowing how to be respectful and to be prompt. You appreciate the things that you do have, the opportunities that you earn. Like, you, you know that, if you don't capitalize on it or make the most of it or give it your all that you're going to be right back there. Like, and I said, it, I love the town I'm from population 800. Like it never, it didn't it had one red light. It had parties and that was it. No name brand, anything, no malls. If wrestling didn't pan out, I would be have, have my choice of all these other careers. It was 
it was pretty destitute. So the town now, like, is you know, it's done well for itself and it's made a comeback because Asheville's gotten so popular. So it's kind of spread everything out to the surrounding towns. But at the time, no, like everything around here was just like kind of it was a, it was a factory town in industry like and all those left. And when they left, that was the job. So to be able to go to Old Fort now and see that it's doing well, but also to know like, man, I made it out. And like now I can go back willingly and not because I didn't have a choice and I just accepted what was handed to me. Like I always said, I never wanted to be a product of my environment. I never wanted to use that as a crutch as to why I didn't succeed. I didn't want to use my sob story to be like, this is why I didn't make it. Everybody was against me. Is everything around me? Like, no, like I knew that the odds were slim, but I also knew like they weren't impossible if I really wanted it. Like I just had to find a way. And thank God, like I did find a way for anybody else out there that wonders that it's not going to be easy. But man, it's, I wouldn't change any of this for, like I said, my childhood at times, like it could be like, why me? Why me? But I wouldn't change one bit of it. Well, bud, it's been so fun having you on here. I really appreciate you. Thank you guys for letting me vent all that out. Thanks for the therapy set. <laughs> I'll send you the bill. You can Venmo me, PayPal, whatever you want to do. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the week. Enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking, having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there, um, and that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying hangouts on the YouTube as well, so we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know? Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, we like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions. <laughs> <laughs>